Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, December 18th. Many of those government-supplied COVID test kits are set to expire at the end of this year. Are they still effective, and how can we prevent spreading the flu or COVID over the holidays? We get some answers from Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, vaccine researcher and founder of Prime Health. The holidays can be full of fun with friends and family, but for some, it can feel like the loneliest time of the year. We discuss what sort of an impact loneliness can have on our health and how to address it with Alfonso Abizade, professor of neuroscience at Carleton University. And finally, technology has made life easier and more convenient over the past century, but according to research, our personal happiness has been on a consistent decline since the 1940s. We explore the role materialism plays in this decline with author, teacher, and activist Jeff Golden. If your workplace is like ours, cold and flu viruses are circulating around the office. As we head into the holiday gathering season, how can you ensure you don't spread the virus to friends and family? Joining us to discuss is Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family doctor, vaccine researcher, and founder of Prime Health Research. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Gorfinkel. Well, thanks so much for having me back, Andy. Thank you for being here. So we always set the season up, and I know that we look at data, for example, on the other side of the globe and through Australia to find out what kind of a flu season we might be having. So in your words, how would you characterize the cold and flu season thus far in Canada? I only wish we could cast our eyes as far as Australia to help us understand. It's here. It's in Alberta. It's right now. Alberta is a hot spot. We're seeing the highest levels we have in the past 14 years. And yet, listen to this perfect storm. The least number of people are vaccinated over the last dozen years. So that's, you know, that's the problem we're facing. High levels of flu, low levels of vaccination. Hmm. You know, so it's a problem. We, talk, we hate talking about COVID, but is COVID an issue as well? Or is it more the flu and the RSV that we're seeing in hospitals, et cetera? You know, when you cast your eyes on Alberta's respiratory viruses page, and believe it or not, there is such a page, mm-hmm. their data shows that the number of flu cases now outnumber the number of COVID cases by two and a half times. So there's two and a half times more flu. So what's the problem with this picture? First, people aren't testing for COVID. So that might be undercalling COVID because the rest of Canada is seeing higher numbers of COVID cases. And secondly, do people even have access to the tests? Mm. That's a whole other question. Mm-hmm. And what, what about you know, the efficacy of these tests, Dr. Gorfinkel? Because I know a lot of people have these COVID tests you know, kind of stockpiled at the end of uh, you know, uh, the pandemic or back edge, or you go to the pharmacy and they've got extras, you take them home. Are they still effective after they've sat around for a couple of years and to the strains we're seeing right now of COVID? It's not just people who have them. Alberta has stockpiled no less than 40 million rapid antigen tests that are set to expire in the next few months. So, so what Health Canada says, these tests are good two years from the manufacturing date. So what's a person to do if they're, it's 2 a.m., they don't have access to a, to a test, they're looking at the box, it's now expired. If the test is positive, you know it's positive. If the test is negative, it still could be positive. That's the problem. That is what a I problem. Suggest, yeah, well, I suggest, you know, anyway, we're supposed to repeat it within 24 hours, you know, 24 to 48 hours, repeat it because it might just be too early. The viral load starts out early, but then it gets higher as, you know, with every passing day. And I suggest the five by five rule. 
So take the swab, be sure to swab five separate places because Omicron is better at escaping tests than the original variant for which these tests were approved. So what is the five by five rule? Take the swab, lower gums right side for five seconds, lower gums left side for five seconds, same swab to the back of the throat. Now that's a bit tricky Mm. for five seconds and then to each nostril for five seconds. So that gives us the best chance of getting the virus onto the swab so that the test can detect it. Okay. Uh, Question for you when it comes to those tests, because I went to use one a couple of weeks back, and you know the little thing that you you kind of rip the top off and it's got the liquid in it that you put in the little test tube vial then? There There wasn't enough liquid in there to even do my test, so I had to use two. Is that okay, or are we not supposed to do that? Very smart. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. And that's one of the problems with why the tests expire, because the reagent gets to be too low. It actually evaporates just a bit. Mm-hmm. So you did just the right thing. And, you know, we ha- I, I think we should try to make the most of these tests, you know, that, that we have left. So good for you. I want to ask you this because Sue and I both had our, uh, well, both of our uh, updates, the COVID shot and the uh, flu shot, but probably about six, eight weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, we had our pharmacist uh, come in and, and take care of us for the uh, program and we talked about the process. However, both Sue and I became ill, not not because of the shot, because this was weeks later. Um, and I think that Sue, I'm not sure if you consider it the flu that you had. I consider it some kind of a funky flu. I Horrible. tested for COVID yep. twice in four days, came out negative we don't know exactly what we had could it be something other than the flu that we both had you know it's interesting so how effective are xbb shots we're talking novavax the new pfizer the new moderna so they are good at reducing 50 percent of the symptoms 50 percent of the symptoms but when it comes to getting rid of covid and preventing it totally it's about 30 percent effective three zero so that's the thing. It's going to make it less severe, the less likely a person winds up in hospital, but it's not going to eliminate it. Okay. In the best of years, a flu shot is about 50% effective 5-0. So, like, it's not perfect, but what it does is that it reduces the likelihood of winding up in the hospital and dying from the flu. Mm-hmm. It also, and this isn't talked about enough, it reduces the risk of heart attack after having a flu. Oh. And serious lung disease. It reduces pregnancy complications from the flu. And are these talked about? No. There's long-term benefits from getting these vaccinations that are largely ignored. I have never heard of half of those things, so that is great information to know as, uh, you know, an added bonus for sure. I've seen as well, Dr. Gorfinkel, lots of folks now wearing masks. I I figure when they start to get sick again now, we've sort of learned it's okay to throw a mask on and kind of protect others as, as, as best as possible. Do you think that's a good idea? Well, this is the thing. You know, I got to hang my head, not in shame, but in, in a humble nature. The vaccinations aren't perfect. So the best way to do it is to layer the strategies. You rely on one strategy, well, at your own risk. What can I say? But if you layer them up, the mask with the vaccination, with washing hands, fine. Even if you don't wear the mask all the time, you get on a bus and it's crowded with that low ceiling in a public space. Hello, I think we got to be careful there. And you land in Pearson Airport. I'll share something with you. Wow. They get it. They get a thousand people standing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, nobody's wearing a mask. It's pretty nasty. 
I'm just wondering about the uptake time as far as, uh, by the way, we're speaking with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family doctor, vaccine researcher, and founder of Prime Health Research. It is the 18th. We're seven days away from the big day, Christmas Day. The gatherings may be starting a little later this week. Uh, for the efficacy of getting my vaccinations, if I do it today or the next day, uh, am, am I going to be good in the next uh, handful of days? Well, this is it. It takes the body two weeks to develop immunity against a vaccine. So once the vaccine is given, it, you know, you have to calculate two weeks. So right now, well, figure the 18th, we're talking about, you know, the new year probably. That's about how long it would take to have benefit from it. So maybe we should crack open the windows, make sure there's a good ventilation and, you know, good air circulation. And of course, washing the hands can make a difference. If it's a small group, the likelihood of exposure is much less, but it's not zero. And for people who are really high risk, I would hope they've been vaccinated. But if not, it's definitely not too late. The number of flu cases and RSV cases are on the rise, and that's across Canada. You know, this whole idea of a triple-demic. And the goal is not necessarily to eliminate the disease. I only wish we could do that. That's a pipe dream. But what we can do is lessen the chance of getting exposed to it and give our bodies the best chance of fighting it should we get exposed. I love it. Better late than never really is the moral of the story, right? Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, Dr. Gorfinkel. A happy holidays to you. Thanks for uh, being a great friend to the show. I wish you warmth and peace for the new year. Many thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Iris Gorfinkel, family doctor, vaccine researcher, and founder of Prime Health Research. And for a lot of us, the Christmas season is truly the most wonderful time of the year. But for others, it can be stressful and downright lonely. Joining us to talk about the impact of loneliness over the holidays and how we can address it is Alfonso Abizade, Professor of Neuroscience at Carleton University. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andy. And good morning to all you listeners. Appreciate your time. Can you talk to us a little bit about how, you know, loneliness can actually affect the brain and, and then so many different things that, that come from that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, as, as people, we, we are, uh, you know, we're highly social, right? We really depend on others to, to interact, to really move ahead in our lives and when we feel lonely that has a tremendous impact in our psychological processes uh in in our ability to interact uh you know even even when we do have those social contacts when we're lonely we're less likely to interact properly and really feel you know abandoned um social stressors in people are the worst stressors that can happen uh and we know this right Alfonso, yeah, to that social stress piece, and I'd like to dig deeper into that in the sense that if I am lonely, it's got to be that much more difficult this time of the year to see so many people so happy with the season and having more maybe social activities on their calendar. That must be a little bit more of an issue and a challenge for those folks who don't enjoy it. Absolutely. I mean, even even people that when people are lonely, we we tend to do this thing we call social comparison, right? We see others, we see we see it on TV shows, all of these Christmas holiday specials. Uh, people are happy, you know, spending time with their families. And when you don't have that privilege, because it is a privilege, uh, we do, you know, we do feel abandoned and we do feel sadness. Uh, and loneliness is is one of those, you know, cornerstones of depression. 
you've done lots of research, Professor. So talk to us a little bit about how sort of prenatal exposure to endocrine disruptors, how can we talk about that, kind of make us understand how, you know, the factors that contribute to how we respond to stress and loneliness, for example, during the holidays? Well, if, if we think about, if we think about um, uh, being a child, uh, when children are, are, are alone or when they don't have that, that much social interaction, uh, let's think about those people that come to Canada and they're first Canadians, or let's think about those people that are away from family and they have children that don't get to interact with their loved ones. Um, those are the people that get really impacted, right? Uh, and children will, rem- I mean, for children, that uh, ability to interact with their family members is long-lasting. We all have memories of our childhood and Christmas. When we don't have that, then that, you know, that has an impact on their, on their development, on their ability to interact with others as, as adults as they grow older. And uh, uh, it can lead to uh, vulnerability to disease, uh, to, to mental health and disease, uh, and all kinds of diseases, not just, not just those associated with mental health. I'm wondering, Alfonso, do you have any practical advice for individuals dealing with stress and loneliness during the holidays? Are there things that they can do to practice to perhaps maybe pull yourself out of the loneliness is a wrong way to describe it, but to, to feel less lonely? It's a, it's, it's a, difficult, it's a difficult problem, right? Uh, they're lonely because perhaps they don't know many people. So, so one of the things that I, would, that I would say is to try to get out there, right? If you don't know anybody, try to participate in a community engagement. Uh, the church is, is, a, is a great place, or, or any, depending on what religion uh, a person practices, but being close to a, a religious institution is, is, is a good way of doing it, being in a social club. But sometimes that is very difficult for people that are lonely. Uh, I would, this, is a, this is a thing that we have to view as a village, right? We have to... If you if you know of somebody that is lonely or or you suspect that somebody's lonely, don't be afraid to reach out. Those people really need that, uh, and they may not reach out themselves because you know they they don't know any better, right? They they uh, being lonely is is it's almost like a vicious circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's difficult for them to reach out. Yeah, so. and nobody should be lonely through the holidays. You're right, Professor. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it this morning. I, I appreciate you having me there. Thank, Thank you. you. Alfonso Abizaid is a professor of neuroscience at Carleton University. It is interesting that the holidays, Christmas holidays, the whole this time of the year, it just it brings out so many emotions for so many people for su- such vast reasons, right? So yeah. it really is one of those things you should try really hard not to spend it by yourself, even if you don't want to celebrate Christmas per se, or that's not your holiday, yeah, yeah. just to, to, to be around people. It, it's, it's hard. It's hard for a lot of people. There are a lot of things that kind of play onto us, and we're supposed to be all so happy yeah. and joyful at this time of the year, and not everybody is. Well, and I think to a certain extent, sometimes it's, it's not a case of, of so much... You don't know what to do with yourself, but your circumstances changed mm-hmm. in the sense that we did a segment, what, a couple of weeks ago about if your fi- family dynamic has changed. And like, so for example, if you were married and this is your first year that you're not married and you put the other added, uh, you know, challenge in that if you had kids, maybe, 
you know, your ex has the kids and you're going to literally be by yourself mm-hmm. without that family unit that you've had maybe for several years. Those changes, when you, you, you've never dealt with that before, that's a real wrinkle and that's a real skill set to figure out. Very true. And, you know, like my family is in Ontario and my parents are both gone and, I, you know, my brother died a few years ago. So I, I get it. It brings up, it makes, you know, you, you, you long for what you had yes. as a kid perhaps. And I think that's sort of where some of that sadness comes from. So you have to find your new family and your new joy and your new circle. And that might be people who you're related to. And it might be just people who you're friends with who become your family. And I, you know, obviously I don't know your specific, you know, circumstance, but you know, I, I do know that when you're going through something that's completely different, sometimes it's better to not try to replicate a Christmas that you've had before, mm-hmm. but to go way off the page. And so, for example, if you were able to, for example, afford a, uh, a night in Canmore or, you know, somewhere close drivable, then you could say, okay, on Christmas Eve, I'm getting on the road and I'm going to have a, a night mm-hmm. by myself in a hotel or uh, go somewhere to visit Ooh. some. I don't know if that sounds sad though. No, but you're like, you know, maybe not though. Maybe the hotel thing. I, although I do enjoy sleep, I was gonna say, sleeping you'd like and that. eating pizza and time alone. <laughs> Room but my, service. my point is like to go somewhere and <laughs> yeah, do yeah, something out of, cause out of the norm, right? Well, yeah, yeah. If you're sitting in the same four walls, it can be tough because your physical can dictate the mental to a certain extent. If yep. that makes sense. And you know, invite yourself somewhere too. Nobody's going to turn yes. you down at Christmas. In fact, people will say, "Oh my God, I'm sorry, I didn't think of that." Invite yourself to well, hang you didn't out. Didn't answer with... my phone call last year. That's I'm just kidding, different. Um, and. I, invite yourself somewhere you'll 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 be treated to a meal that's right more than likely and some laughs and some you know some love and some happiness uh, happiness and joy uh this texture saying lonely or alone at christmas as a child who survived 18 moves the more you dwell or obsess about things the worse it makes you feel and sometimes it's hard not to kind of get stuck in that rut yeah but that's where you need to reach out ask for help We've, there are a million different phone numbers. We've got them for the distress center, for example. Or call a friend or somebody and invite yourself for Christmas dinner. Well, and easy to say, don't dwell, because yeah, the second you say that, you're going to dwell. You start dwelling. Uh, so that's why I say, you know, plan something completely different, because it is tough when you're used to traditions, and those traditions don't exist. I like that, anymore. Andy. It's a good point. Break the tradition and just create well, your own something new and fresh. And that's the thing, right? It would be new because you've never done it before. Yeah. Um, but of course, our good friends, we have Karen Gallagher-Bird on quite frequently, and she is a social worker that works out of the Distress Center. We do know that distresscenter.com, great resources, and right at the top of the page, I don't go here much because we usually speak with Karen in, in the phone numbers in our notes, mm-hmm. but they put it right at the top, the 24-hour crisis line, where you can phone or text 403-266-HELP, and she told us 365 days a year, including Christmas. 266-HELP. If you really need someone to reach out to, to talk to, there's the number for you. Materialism has reached staggering levels in North America, and we're all paying a profound price. So says writer, teacher, and activist Jeff Golden, who joins us now on this Motivational Monday. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Pleasure to chat with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about your book. It's called Reclaiming the Sacred, Healing Our Relationships with Ourselves and the World. What inspired you to write it? Well, that's a pretty incredible story. I never thought I was going to be an author. I had written articles regularly, things like that, but I wasn't looking to write a book. But it really came to me in just this welling up of purpose and rightness around a number of things that came up in my life. What was extraordinary for me was this was more than a 10-year journey of doing the researching and writing of this book and staying the course and really believing in myself and what this was about wasn't always easy. And yet 
here we are. I'm talking with you. And as you know, and maybe some of your listeners know, it won a huge award, the Nautilus Grand Prize. And so at this point, all of a sudden, it's on everyone's to read list. Mm -hmm. And I get to talk with people all around the the country and the world about this stuff. Um, 12 years of, of sticking with something that felt like it was really meant to be. And here come the, you know, the, the payback from the universe, if you will. So, Jeff, you, you, you're obviously, you've struck a chord with people. People are understanding where you're coming from. They want to learn more. But it does beg the question, how yeah. did we get here? How do we get to this place of extreme materialism? Well, it's striking to offer a little context. Uh, this is true both in Canada and the United States and many industrialized countries. Since at least the 1940s, levels of happiness have actually been either at a standstill or in the United States and a consistent decline ever since then, which when you think about things in terms of money and material goods is striking because in the 1940s, a third of people didn't even have indoor plumbing, hmm. not to mention TVs and indoor, you know, and, and um, central heating and AC and things like that. So the material growth that we've seen in the past nearly 100 years is extraordinary beyond what most people could have imagined. Even incomes have increased so much in general, and yet we're less happy. It's very telling, and if we follow that rabbit hole and look at all of the research that's been done, the central finding is that once we have enough money to meet our basic needs, we have as much money as we need, on average, to be happy. If you do not have enough money to meet your basic needs, more money will contribute to greater happiness in the form of food and shelter and clothing and things like that. Even for those of us, though, who do not have enough to meet our basic needs, there are usually other factors that are more important to our happiness, though. For example, our social lives and having a little bit of time for ourselves count very significantly. But once we do have enough to meet our basic needs, we really have all that we need to be as happy as we can be which is to say, if you are meeting your basic needs, I could lay all the money in the world at your feet, and once you get over that initial shock and excitement, you will be just as happy in a little bit as you were before. And an example of this is research around big lottery winners. People who win big lotteries are just as happy afterwards as they were before, hmm. on average. Some people a little happier, some people not as happy, but that's how it plays out. And in the end, the consensus, economists and psychologists alike, is that money and possessions account for about 2 to 4% of our happiness. That's it. Wow. And yet, so many, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I was just going to say, fascinating that we're talking about this right now at the time of the year where we completely go overboard and it's all about buying and gifting and getting and, and we don't really necessarily need any of that. That's not what our, 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 our bodies, our minds, our, our spirits even require then, is it? Wow. Well, you, you nailed it on the head. One of the journals put it very eloquently. I won't be able to copy it exactly, but they're basically saying that we are taking a body, a, a, a being that for 300,000 years, Homo sapiens have existed. We've taken this body and put it into an environment that's overstressed, overworked, super materialistic, doesn't get enough sleep, doesn't get enough exercise, all of these things that really we know intuitively and the research tells us this is what will help make your life really meaningful 
and happy. And we've thrown a lot of those out the window and focused instead a lot on the material aspect. And there are a number of reasons for this, and, and I go into them into the book for anyone who'd like to dig a little bit deeper. It's called Reclaiming the Sacred. I won't go into a lot of it right now, but just to say that one of the key findings is that materialism is strongest. It rushes in when we're actually missing some of those things that really matter. So if we are not feeling good about ourselves, maybe our self-esteem has really hurt, maybe we've suffered a lot, maybe our parents, other kids told us things when we were little that we've really internalized about ourselves, when we feel fearful, when we aren't feeling just a basic satisfaction or sense of purpose, the materialism rushes in because we're trying to compensate. It's like we want that dopamine hit or that distraction of buying something to give us a sense of brief satisfaction. Mm. The research is clear and most of us have experienced this. It doesn't last very long and it doesn't really do the trick, but the teaching in there is to the degree that we can just sort of anchor ourselves and keep in mind, okay, really, two to four percent of our happiness comes down to this material stuff and money. It can help to orient us. Of course, it's tis the season, and we're all going to get caught up to some degree in that. And there can be joy and connection in that too, right? Especially around family and giving of gifts. It can be very meaningful, but it can also just be overwhelming mm -hmm. if we just lose ourselves in it. One of the critical moments researchers have found is when we're making decisions about our lives, like where we want to live and who we're hanging out with. How do we set the expectations around our lives? Do we orient around materialism and bite off as much as we can and set ourselves on a course of evermore having to try and maintain that? Or do we, or do we take a step back and say, wow, maybe that statistic is really right for me and if I can meet my basic needs right now, I really generally am okay and am able to do what I want. And maybe I'm gonna slow down a little bit and make some decisions about spending some time with my friends yeah. or taking care of myself, just mm -hmm. having a little time to even feel and breathe. These are the kinds of questions we can ask ourselves that really do make a big difference when we find ourselves caught up in these currents you're describing. Book is called Reclaiming the Sacred, uh, reclaimingthesacred.net. And I've got a question for you, Jeff, because my wife and I have these yeah. conversations. Our house is about 50, 55 years old. It's not 150 mm -hmm. years old, but does not have the, the the closet space of a lot of what our friends might have. So my wife, and I don't think she is, has a shopping addiction, but she shops and, and enjoys it, might bring in a new outfit every couple months, but she'll say to me, our closets aren't big enough. And I find myself, you know, stacking clothes on top of another. So just like on your cover of your book, you've got a beautiful picture like of a forest. Uh, I, I don't think she can see the forest through the trees because the clothes piling up brings her uh, dismay, but she doesn't understand that it's too many clothes that are the issue here. So so how do you put the brakes on that? How do you stop yourself? Because it's got to be tough because you don't see this as an issue. The issue is we don't have enough space. Not that I've accumulated too much stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think the shortest answer is simply going to be that the path is going to look different for each one of us. Maybe you really are going to just need a little more storage space, and that's what's going to keep you and your wife happy in your lives. But keeping that overall perspective of how do we not get too caught up in that, I think very helpful oftentimes is just to take a global perspective to recognize that the very little closet space that we have is someone else's fantasy. I mean, so many people on the planet mm -hmm. throughout time and today that will never know the, the kind of material comfort and stability that we already know. 
and to sort of orient ourselves towards that. It's like every time we feel called to acquire something else, or maybe we're feeling called to not buy something. We're hearing on the news about how it'd be really good for us to not do something so much or to let something go. And I think the orientation is to hold on and feel that sense of loss. But every time we hit one of those junctures, we can just stop and take a breath and ask ourselves, what do I have already? I mean, one of the things the research is clear on is that the more that we have, the more fleeting that joy is and the less that we're able to savor life's simple pleasures. And so not only do we lose sight of the fact that we have so much materially, but honestly, we lose sight of the fact that here we are, I have my breath, I have the sky, I have movement, I have color, I have life, I have people around me, these fundamental things that are truly the abundance of our lives and of this world. Each time we feel a sense of, oh, I have to give that up or I need that, just take a moment and take a breath and orient instead towards all that I do have. And maybe you're still going to end up needing a little more closet space, but maybe you're also going to decide, no, I really don't need that. What we're going to do instead with the hours we would have spent trying to figure out the additional closet space and money is we're just going to take a little time and go spend the afternoon with our friends Mm -hmm. or our family or with each other or for some of us meditating or therapy, the things that really do make a consistent difference in our lives. Just little things here and there can just add up over time. Fascinating time of the year to be thinking about it. Thank you so much for the lesson. Really appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for your time. It's a pleasure. I wish everyone the best. Thank you. You too. Jeff Golden is a writer, teacher, and activist. Website, reclaimingthesacred.net. The name of his book, Reclaiming the Sacred, Healing Our Relationships with Ourselves and the World.